So do you have anything you'd like to ask either of us? Yeah. I felt a lot more alive and sensitive over the retreat, experiencing a lot of inwards and outwards connectivity. How does that affect the deepening of practice? And also, are the experience of chi and piti related? What about after leaving the retreat? Is the loss of sensitivity inevitable? Mm, thank you. Do you want to respond first, Najan? <laughs> okay, yeah. right. The easy one is the chi and piti. Chi is energy as vitality can form in different ways. Yeah. Sort of like quite bright and then soft and so it can take different forms and very so very gossamer like suffusions. Piti is translated as rapture because it's a fairly got quite a lot of velocity to it. It's quite zingy. Uh, it's generally associated with an emotional activation which is sort of like joyful and it's likened to uh, you know say someone crossing a desert and sees a lake of water so it's kind of like slightly excited Um, so that's an activated um, energy form and I use the word activated because it can also be like a receptive energy form and generally in cultivating chi you've got to balance the two because the activate is certainly much more (laughs) exciting (laughs) and the problem with pity is it's quite exciting because it is skillful you know it's definitely beneficial but it could be a problem if people get a little bit over ramped on it you know so the sense is as it opens the activation opens it clears which is great which is the main thing clearing the dullness and the fidgetiness of the hindrances but along with that comes the receptive aspect and the receptive aspect the initial term for it is sukha it's the sweetness and they're both together you know it's not they're separate the piti and the sukha are both together but first of all the more prominent form is the piti yeah there's a sweetness but then what we're trying to incline or as the process completes, as we're more attentive to the whole process, is the, the activation aspect subsides into the receptive. The receptive is not stagnant at all, but it's actually quite vibrant uh, sukha ease. And this is very um, balancing for the emotional body. When she is manifesting through that you know, emotional heart energy and body energy, then then it can sort of pity kind of is the breaking of the crust of the and the agitations of the confused energy of the hindrances and then the sukha which trying to receive the sweetness of, of having got to the lake and drinking the water you know? um, and that's the whole sort of process there the water is as drunk then in fact the whole heart energy begins to subside into um, again it sounds like bad but actually it's not bad at all it's kind of a very cooling wider quality which inclines towards equanimity which is very poised heart energy
and bright, poised. So chi and piti are two slightly different things. The other question about internal, external fields. Hmm. You've got to bear in mind that uh, there are different fields that one can feel uh, attuned to or or impacted by or, or moving around in. And the most obvious one is the sense fields. You know, so the orientation in the sense fields. The main message here is kind of restraining uh, because the chitta doesn't actually manifest in the sense fields. <laughs> it's a bit of an illusion. Where it's more activated is in the energy field. It's immediately connected to that. Sense field is somewhat remote, actually. So this is why, you know, the sense of sense restraint, not just to kill joy, but the sense of actually, this isn't really a real home anyway. <laughs> I, you know, you kind of sort it out so that it's steady enough and, and then so that you can get much more to the where the chitta is um, forming, which is in the energy field, which is subtler quality. And then that relates directly to um, the embodied quality, such as the body obviously has sense contact, but also the energy body. So that in that, and then so we say externally, what is external to that? And okay, there's the energy, which is sort of extending, and it's sort of like an exchange, isn't there? With breathing in, breathing out, the energy field opens and it's like a, you know, opens and doesn't exactly close, but it draws in and you've got this lovely flow of internal, external. Yeah, and if this is, uh, you know, balanced, then jitta begins to undo or come out of its karmic knots. Yeah which is all kind of histories, you could say not even, not even heady histories, but embodied histories comes out of those knots because that, that process is actually moving through the somatic knots, yeah, and internal, external. So then, that then so very simply speaking, when there's expanded heart, looking at it very simply, turning, opening and then returning and recognize that the internal is not closed off it's just uh, it's, it's moving back towards center yeah moving back towards center we don't really know center uh, until until that movement occurs you see so you can th- we can try to find a center as like a fixed thing but actually that isn't the way to do it. And, and this is why, in my opinion, my practice as well, concentration is a bit of a misnamer because it does, one does go right, fixed point. And that almost always causes some kind of rupture between the internal and the external. The center forms through that correct flow center begins to crystallize out of that correct flow and it's the, the deepest return the fullest return 
And the, uh, the fuller the return gets, and the more satisfied the return gets, the opening actually can be fuller. And the returning, the quite, quite an extended energy field, which, you know, and, and then that leads on, you know, to discernment. And I don't know if that's answered your question, but I was quite enjoyed talking about that. <laughs> The rest of it, <laughs> what do you do in daily life? <laughs> I mean, I mean, generally, I recognise it's 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 always, you know, and just plan a place uh, your 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 location in the sense fields in, in a in a way that requires least as least. <laughs> agitation and expenditure of energy as possible <laughs> so that you can do something much more authentic. Thank you. Uh, may I add? Yeah. The word calibrating has been coming up for me today. It's a bit of a mechanical term. One of the main things I notice coming on retreat is craving settles or eases and when I come off retreat it tends to go up (laughs) so that relationship to the sensitivity that comes through this process we've been with together this heightened alivening of the senses and uh, opening of the senses and and you can always feel how following the craving or, or resisting shuts that down and and these conditions help that sensitivity open uh, I think it helps to not make one better than the other it sounds a bit I don't know, but just just to notice, I find it helpful to notice this is just what my mind does, and it's sort of learning about cause and effect. So I find it helpful to develop this capacity to be with the feeling of craving, the urge, the feeling of the pull. So that's that dynamic between the virya and the samadhi. Uh, as the conditions change, and valuing the learning, like coming off retreat, valuing the learning. When does something start to change? What's happened such that it's changed? You know. then uh, our sati, our mindfulness, it learns to be with different levels of noise or impact. I think what also helps is it's almost feeling this flexibility of opening and closing. So I often come across this perspective that 
practice is about opening, and like, almost like being a posture. Or, and uh, it's actually, we need both movements, so it's really important to allow like that. And that, I think the sense restraint is really how we take care of the overwhelm, especially initially. It's not wrong that the mind rushes out, but we kind of empathize with the effect of that. You know, and see what, what, what takes care of me. So I, uh, you know, when I used to travel back from retreats on a train, I just quite often have an intention just to look out the window, just to stay quite simple. Because I think what we move from is how our, our sensed experience operates automatically and how it can operate more responsibly, you know, more, more in relationship. I hope that's helpful. Can you say more about the imaginal practices? Please expand on how chanting can repattern emotional energy. Imaginal, well, just sort of like, first of all, let's, um, uh, let's place synesthesia. You know what that means, synesthesia? It means the senses kind of transfer, you could say. Um, what the jitter experiences can manifest is a visual quality or an auditory quality. Uh, generally, there are three auditory, tactile, and visual. The tactile might be a sense of compression or space. So synesthesia means something like the, the senses transfer. And if you ever did any LSD or ma- mushrooms or whatever years ago or are still doing it, <laughs> you'll, you'll recognize what I mean. You see music moving around in colors because the, the signals get kind of scrambled. Mm. Bear in mind that, you know, we take seeing for real. <laughs> It's really just uh, the way that certain signals transfer into to the visual aspects, but they could also go to the auditory. Um, and then the imaginal level is really like the chitta's experiencing sort of uh, energies. Uh, that's its one of its bases. And naturally, uh, there's a kind of heart energy moves. And as it moves, it often just starts moving up into thought or producing waves of emotion of some kind. But at a certain level of calm, then we can pick up these quasi-sensual experiences, luminosities, uh, silences, uh, um, things of this nature, tactile experiences, warmth, coolness, space. And these are kind of what, what happens and there can be associated with particular tonalities of heart so generally a light is considered a, a helpful tonality rather than gloom <laughs> because there's the kind of heart resonances are coming through quite clearly so there's, there's a light sense a sense of light yeah can also be a tingly sense yeah tingly sense or mixture of both of them um, 
give me a kind of subtle, subtle sound of silence, you know, tingly, half quasi sound. And this is the way that these things manifest. Now, when we're doing, um, you know, say devotional practice, then you're actually painting an image in sound. So rather than visual image, it's a sound image. The sound image is sweet or lifted, uh, opening, you know, these, these call it heartful or embracing, you know, but the, the sound image can convey those heart energies and heart states. So we kind of deliberately incline towards activating those, those qualities. So we can use external Buddha, Kuan Yin, so forth, you know, to, to just try to activate in that particular way. So that's how we do devotional practice. So it does sort of activate the heart energies if it works properly. We're not trying to make something happen. And one can arrive at either the visual light or even a slightly tactile lift or, or expanded sense of space. And really, those images are not so important. The main thing is the, is the effect. I think it is helpful to recognize how this imaginal level does uh, orient the heart mood. And the imaginal level can be quite closed, dull, flat, uh, and, and not, not activated. You know, we, we kind of believe in the top level of the mind or the rationality of the mind which tends to dismiss the imaginal you know the imaginal is much more fundamental than the rational and is is the key to our emotional our heart energies so it's um, skillful practice to just start activating that heart energy mm. yeah. and so particularly any depression is always grey and heavy. You don't get buoyant depression. <laughs> you know, we use the word grey, dark, heavy for that. What well, I don't see any grey. We're talking about well, that's the imaginal reference to that particular mind state. Uh, yeah. And you can't rationalise with it. But uh, it is possible to lift. I mean, so experiencing the darkness or the greyness then we can actually use the voice to begin to always express the darkness you know so that does stimulate our energy even if it's expressing something that's rather negative so once you've got the thing moving <laughs> you, can, you know you've got the real thing moving then there's a possibility it can it can rise by itself. Is that helpful? Um, so we do morning chanting, morning. We call it puja, and there's a, you know there's this chanting. So often you're, you're saying these words, which you get used to after a while, and kind of, uh huh. And mostly it's just sort of doing, making the sound come out and expressing the emotion. And actually I'm going there, I'm expressing the emotion of how much I hate doing morning chanting. <laughs> I hate, I hate, I hate. 
don't want to be here. And then this thing, oh, I feel so much better now. <laughs> Makes me think of how very often the Buddha taught or conveyed experiences of the Dharma through metaphors or through similes and that were in common usage at the time. Mm. Yeah. And also Arjun Chah. Arjun Chah mm. would do the same. The, yeah. Just as you were saying that last bit, Arjun, it made me think of something Arjun Chah said that he said, where it's hot, that's where the coolness is. It's like when we bring the light of our attention. Yeah, it's a very, that's the very place of discovery. It's a great image. Can I just add a little bit more? If I may? You may, yes. Well, you may. that imaginal sense is very good for, I think we've talked about felt sense then if you've activated the imaginal sense, that becomes much more available. It's very, very helpful because you can, you know, trim down or, or extend down from your rather complex thought processes to, you know, that's the bit, that's the mood. And then we want to bring up the imaginal sense. What would that feel like? What would that look like? You know, is it grey, bright, big? Spiky, soft, treacly, black. Well, just give me an image. You start imaging it. And then it, 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 when you get it right, it's just, just bang, you got it. And the heart knows it. And then we've got something we can actually start to relate to direct from the heart. And I think we've touched into that felt sense experience. And yeah, of course, most of the Buddha used a lot of imagery and recognize also that he spoke it. It was not written. So it came through that voice. <laughs> yeah, so the, the transmission is, is, what's the word for it, paragosa? The voice of another. So it's that, that vocalized transmission where you get the resonances and the intonations and the, and the tonalities come through and with a powerful image in it. That must be that's the way the you know, most powerful transmissions occur. Right. So maybe we'll just do two more questions. Is that okay for you, Arjun, if we take two more? I'm feeling fine, so mm, good. here all night. <laughs> <laughs> we can have a hot chocolate at midnight and get a hit. And <laughs> I'm having new meditative experiences that make me excited and even a bit fearful in seeing consciousness as impermanent. Can you advise, please? So I can respond first, yeah? So what I've, I've found helpful is sensing how to uh, receive the excitement and not get caught up in 
when it goes into thoughts. So how to shift my attention from the excited thoughts back down into the body. And the kind of, you know, over the years I, I really tended to get excited or go up. So it was kind of over and over again <laughs> it would happen. I remember once on retreat, I just had to, I had to do what I called the couch potato practice. <laughs> so I actually sat like a kind of sat like that, <laughs> and just sort of let my eyes relax. Let my, I mean, it's a more extreme example. You may not be able to do this, but just to use it as an example, just let myself feel the support of a chair, and just sort of relax. And it sort of brings some a bit of space and takes some lets there be space for the charge. It's not adding more charge. So it's sort of experimenting with what really meets the system or meets the feeling and the body and the mind. And yeah, it sort of helps it it finds its own balance and it's got that space and backing, yeah, space mainly and receiving. So not trying to change it all, but just, uh, it's like a gesture. Yeah. That quality of the fear of losing consciousness or losing the self uh, referencing or self orientation you know, that, that we know how to function. I was talking to someone about this earlier this week and uh, one thing I found it helpful to know is that the, uh, it's almost like a quality of the self is the fear, you know, because it's always dependent, so it's always a, a degree of insecurity, however subtle you know, it's always in a leaning mode and and as we find our centre it can bring in this kind of disorientation it's like the usual familiar way of operating isn't the shape we're in and uh, it's like a new territory almost like going to a new country and, and what I find helpful is just seeing that that's normal to feel that a slight, slight sense of disorientation or wobble or loss of sense of navigation and sort of just allow that, it's almost like a transitional um, adaptation it's almost like how we get to feel the difference a bit like I was saying earlier, the difference between like really feeling what does faith feel like or what does the energy not in the pattern feel like and what does it feel like in the pattern and it's like we move back and forth and not making one better than the other, we can allow that movement back and forth Yes, it's sort of allowing the not knowing, allowing the unclarity. Not as a demand, but as a curiosity. Can I, can I let this be here?
Don't add anything, I'll jump. Is it automatic that samadhi will lead to discernment? Hmm. Well, the discernment of panya is quite a broad topic of different kinds of discernment. Um, The discernment is uh, sort of like how to do that's that's the way you do it. That's the way you not do it. So that's always useful. Um, discerning, you know, path. Discerning, skillful from unskillful. Discerning, stressful from non-stressful. So that's a activated discernment. And the results of that, as it's cultivated along with sati, is that the mind begins to clear uh, and settle and that settling and clearing is in the domain of samadhi so samadhi arises from discernment we can look at it that way and of course samadhi can cover quite a bit too there's different levels and depths of it Uh, but the saying Buddhist expression is when there is correct samar samadhi because there's also wrong samadhi then by itself there is a seeing and clarity as to how things actually are we call that realization yeah this is like clear seeing because the mind is no longer obscured mm. you yeah, know so that kind of quality yeah. uh, and then there's also another sense in which that can be almost directed uh, so it's a clear seeing, and then the Buddha says, then it's directed towards the elimination of the asava. So it's like seeing how conditions arise, and that there are conditions arising and passing and so forth. Yeah, and that sense of anatta. Actually, then the citta can be directed towards, where does all this stuff come from? You know, of course, that's, that's a thought, but something like that, like, hmm. So then we get penetrative uh, realization. There's a whole string of different words that are used for different qualities of panya. Yeah. So the jitta can be directed within samadhi, which is slightly uh, arguable because some people feel it just goes completely still, but when we look into the scriptures, the Buddha does talk about my bright, concentrated mind, I directed it towards the elimination of the taint. So there's certainly some kind of turning or interest, and then that that penetration is through wisdom. Is it more like a, a gentle turning? I get the impression, not, not thought, because that would... Um, it's, not, it's not thought. That seems to you know, away from. <laughs> it's like, when you say I changed my mind, did we change my mind or just got <laughs> lost interest in that? Yeah. You know, when I said, uh, you know, I've lost my interest in, in going to parties, did I say, okay, let's turn away or did I just say, heart's not in it anymore. <laughs> yeah. So the heart withdraws, you know, it's not, so it's that kind of directing the heart just says, yeah, now for that, not there for me. So it's called nipita. 
and that's also a part of the process, just the withdrawal and not bother with that. So lost interest, doesn't fascinate it, doesn't think we are need to go withdraw. So that's that's a direction of heart. It's not done through the will, it's done through realization. So the realization that's inadequate or not enough or whatever, void, empty of purpose, so withdrawal. So that's the kind of turning mm-hmm. and then the turning to what is what is the release from this? Yeah. So that's that's the uh, turning of interest, you might say, or the heart's interest. And um, we can't really, you know, make it happen, except that if one primes those indrias, they work on each other, and they, you know, they they co-ripen to the point it's like a maturing yeah maturing so the maturing of it is that the you know the heart turns by itself because it's it's had enough of that you know so that that's a turning just as our interest turn from when we were seven years old to when we we're 35 years old um, it just by itself this is rather of a similar nature that's really um, what I would say about it for right now. More tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>